Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street. And I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more. And I also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. I'm pleased today to be visiting with Natasha Tynes and talking about to her book, They Called Me Wyatt. It's a literary murder mystery that draws on the author's Jordanian-American heritage. Uh, Raina F. Swayce, author of Voices of Jordan, calls the book a brilliantly imaginative and riveting tale of cross cultures as well as personal triumph and struggle. And Glenn Florio, author of Silent Hearts, observes that Natasha's book starts with an irresistible concept, a murder victim's soul trapped in a toddler's body, unable to communicate what happened beyond screams and tantrums, and only gets better from there. It explores the lives of young Jordanians simultaneously bound by the strictures of their home country and experiencing the freedom and the bias of life in the United States and absorbing read. Natasha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're just talking. You're up in in the D.C. area, and it's just this is going to come out in November, but it's it's we're in the dog days of August here, so I assume it's hot up there, just like it is down here. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. very hot. It's like in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations on the book. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Now, before we talk about the book, let's talk a little bit about you. You're um you're a Jordanian American author and a communications professional based in Washington D.C. You're born in Amman, Jordan. Talk a little bit about your journey from there to here. Sure. So I was born in Amman, Jordan uh, in the late 70s. So now everyone knows how old I am. <laughs> and um, I, uh, you know, I grew up in, you know, back when Amman was really small. There were not many bookshops around. It was a very simple life. 
and all my life I enjoyed reading and writing and that and because of that I ended up um, working in newspapers and then I got a scholarship to go to the UK and I did my master's in journalism and I always knew that I wanted to write a book um, and then I worked uh, in a number of countries all over the world I worked in Jordan I worked in the UK I worked in Doha Qatar I worked for Al Jazeera and then um, I met my husband in Jordan. We were both working as reporters. And then we eventually made the move to the U.S. Um, and then I was in my late 20s when uh, I moved to the U.S. And then um, I, you know, started thinking about writing fiction and how it's always been my dream. So I started taking uh, fiction writing classes and then uh, started publishing uh, short stories in journals across the U.S. And eventually I started write, writing this novel yeah. um, and it took me almost four years. And uh, here we are. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But uh, you live in Maryland now with your husband and three children. You, uh, you you set this book that we're going to talk about uh, later in the show here uh, in these two places, uh, Amman, Jordan, and uh, and uh, College Park, Maryland, I believe. Tell us a little bit about the differences in these settings that you used in this story. Sure. I mean, the difference is is huge. Uh, first of all, uh, the Amman setting is mostly set in the... 1980s and this is the period where I grew up where I came out of age and as I said Amman was completely different back then than it is now so um, the, the main character of the novel Siwar talks about growing up in the Middle East in Jordan and the challenges she faced being a woman in a conservative society and then when she moved uh, to the U.S. to study she also talks about that challenge is being an immigrant in the U.S. and 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 how she faced them. So the setting is there's a, there's a big time difference between the the two settings uh, over like twenty five years, and then you have the setting of you know the simple life in the Middle East and the more complex Westernized life in in the United States. Okay. Now, you, you, you've appeared on TV programs. You've been a regular contributor to a number of publications inside and outside the U.S. with your nonfiction work that's been published widely. But uh, this was your fiction piece. Uh, why did you want to write fiction uh, and why this novel in particular? Sure. So I always believe that um, there is a story in me to tell, and I believe to create empathy, to 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 take people to a different part of the world to understand the other uh, fiction is a very great tool. I mean, think about now about the pandemic, what we're going through. Everyone is scared, and you know, being lost in a different world, being taken into a, a, a journey when you can't even travel, is really a way to tell stories that otherwise people would not hear about. So, and I've, I've always been a fan of fiction. I, you know, I read all my life and I, I enjoy fiction and I'm a, I'm a huge reader. Um, so this story came to me actually in a, in a dream. I know this sounds like a cliche, but that's the truth. Um, and so I dreamt that uh, I was uh, murdered and I was uh, reborn in the body of a, of a toddler in the U.S. 
And I woke up and I wrote down uh, the dream and then I wrote it as a short story. And then one of my friends who's part of my writer's group uh, suggested I turn this into a novel. And here we are five years later. All right. So before we talk about the story, let's talk about the book cover itself. Uh, uh, you've got it in front of you. Our listeners can't see it. They'll see it in the show notes when they look at uh, look at that at charlotteroospodcast.com. But uh, give us a little uh, visual here. It looks like we've got a silhouette of a person on the cover, and uh, there's a it looks like a body falling and through the brain stem. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you see in this cover. Correct. So, so what happens? I mean, I, I'm not spoiling the story, but so you know from the very first page of of the novel that the main character dies uh, by. Uh, being pushed over uh, the roof of a building and that's why you see her uh, falling and then she gets reincarnated into uh, the body of a three-year-old boy so she's basically in his brain or in his mind so that's why you see that silhouette so this cover portrays this um, you know mystical element to the novel all right well uh, you ready to get under the covers uh yes (laughs) Hey listeners, before we get under the covers, I'd like to share some benefits that are available to you, our listeners. If you sign up for our email list at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com, we will send you a a free ebook, the first book in my Christmas courtroom trilogy. We promise not to spam you. That just takes way too much time. We just provide a bi-weekly newsletter to let uh, listeners know what's coming and uh, allow you to engage with the show. Also, if you'd like to support your uh, favorite local independent bookstore and get audiobooks at the same time, uh, you can join Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O.fm. And if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, that's all one word. You may not be from Charlotte, but you can still be a Charlotte Reader to get this benefit. When you use that promo code, you're going to get uh, two books for the price of one when you join at uh, Libro's $14.99 monthly membership level. This is a great way to support uh, your local independent bookstore and get uh, great audiobooks uh, at the same time. So check it out. All right, so we're now talking about uh, the novel They Called Me Wyatt uh, with author Natasha Tynes. And uh, Natasha, let's talk first about the title of the book, uh, They Called Me Wyatt. It, it kind of throws you off a little bit uh, when you start reading because your protagonist is a, is a female. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us a little bit about that title. Sure. So the name of, of the main character is Siwar, uh, which is uh, a common Arabic name, which means a bracelet. Um, and then um, when she was bo- uh, reborn, um, she finds herself in, in a body of an American toddler, and his name is Wyatt. And Wyatt is 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 a unique name for you know the character's Arab ears or Jordanian ears, and so she's still fascinated by that name, and she's always used to being called Siwar, and now suddenly she's being called Wyatt. Uh, hence comes the title of "They Called Me Wyatt," when intentionally her name is Siwar. Yeah, so she is uh, reincarnated in, in, into a Seattle baby boy. Um, She's been murdered in the first chapter, pushed off a building. Um, she ends up in the in the body of this uh, of this toddler and is is kind of trapped, which is a theme we'll talk about as we go through this. 
Now you mentioned you, this came to you in a dream. Are you, do you, have you had any other material come to you as bizarre as this? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. My dreams have always been vivid and, and, and colorful and, and, and filled with, with stories. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have recurrent dreams, for example, that keeps coming all the time, the same dream. So my dream word is, always fascinates me and I'm, I'm always interested in anything related to dreams so um, I don't have a story based on a dream but I'm working on a couple of writing uh, uh, projects at the moment uh, all of them they have that mystical element sort of urban fantasy paranormal because that's the style that I like um, and I like to add this, this this mystical element to it because that's something that I'm, I'm really interested in and you know I always research it and I want to find more about it Oh, that's great. Well, look, let, let's do this. We, we've got a read that you're going to do, and I want to have you do it now because it's it's the beginning of the book. It kind of sets the stage as part of the inciting incident. So um, I don't know if you need to set up too much because we're starting early in the book, right? Yeah, I'll just, I'm starting from the first chapter of the book. I'm just going to read uh, a few pages and just to give um, – the listener uh and um you know a quick idea of what um the book uh, is about so dying was not the worst part it was what came after dying i was 25 when i died the night i was killed was meant to be a night of jubilation to mark my birthday my entry into quarter life i was a student from jordan pursuing my dream of becoming a writer at the University of Maryland. I'd never imagined that my life journey would be cut so short, so sudden, and on my birthday of all days. Sarah, my Italian friend from the university, organized my birthday bash that crisp April evening at a local brewery in College Park, Maryland. You're going to be a quarter of a century. We need to celebrate, she told me in her rhythmic Italian accent, a week before my death. I didn't argue, although I pretended to be ambivalent about a party, I secretly wanted one. I wanted people to celebrate me, to shower me with gifts, and tell me how wonderful life was because of me. I was born a self-doubter, and I remained one until I perished that night. I was born on April Fool's Day. Of the hundreds of days in the year, fate had it that I was to be born on April 1st, a day dedicated to the fools and the pranksters. I had mixed feelings about it. While I liked how animated my birthday made everyone, I also resented the fact that it distracted the revelers from celebrating me. Eventually, the absurdity of my death validated my birthday. The brewery, Park Grill, was a popular spot among us university students, so it felt like a safe choice. Little did I know. It was big into farm-to-table food and had recently started its own urban garden on the roof of their building where anyone could lease a small lot and plant their own produce. Sarah was in charge of the guest list. I insisted on keeping the celebration small. Just three or four people, no more. 
I told her. My extrovert and introvert selves were always battling, jousting for dominance. I was not impressed by her pics, but I kept my silence. She was my sweet friend, my good friend, the one who stuck around, and I didn't want to upset her. First on her guest list was Ranjit, my housemate from Delhi, who never shied away from declaring his infatuation with me. Then there was Arwa, my childhood friend from Amman, who lived in Baltimore at the time. Park Grill was packed that night, Sunday night, students, locals, and out-of-towners. I really think you'll publish a book, and it will be huge, Sarah told me as we gathered around the square table at the restaurant, overlooking the busy Lafayette Street. Dido's thank you played in the background. Doesn't everyone secretly dream of publishing a book? I asked. Well, your writing is, how do you say it? Let me think, sellable, yes, sellable. And you know that, you write about immigration stuff and Arab problems, and you know agents love this stuff, she said, as she took a sip from a beer made of passion fruit, one of Park Grill's specialties. We all sipped on passion fruit that night. I just finished this collection, Interpreter of Maladies, she added. Professor Stein recommended it. It made me think of you. I see you writing, you writing something similar with your Jordanian stories. I rolled my eyes. So you're saying it's really not my talent that'll get me published, but the fact that I write about those scary Arabs? Sarah chuckled, twirling a strand of her pitch black hair with her fingers. I think it's a mix of both. Let's make a toast, said Ranjit, holding a glass of beer in the air. To scary Arabs and their bestsellers. Cheers, everyone said. To Siwar, added Arwa quietly. She avoided any eye contact with me that night, probably envious of the attention that I was getting. See, that was me, Siwar Salaiha a student from Jordan, pursuing a degree in creative writing. Siwar, Arabic for bracelet, that piece of jewelry that wraps around your wrist, always around, always omnipresent. Okay, so I like that uh, first line, uh, dying was not the worst part because uh, she ends up, uh, after being murdered, she ends up stuck in the speech-delayed three-year-old body of Wyatt. And uh, while she tries to communicate with Wyatt's parents, it's of little use. It's more like a toddler babbling. And uh, so as you say, she tries to focus on solving the mystery, but that's going to be some years before Wyatt starts to grow up. And I think you said she kind of goes into a dormant state while Wyatt undergoes some medical procedure. And then you kind of move forward into the future. And I don't want to give too much away in the book, but uh, you know, essentially there's a couple of parts of this book, right? And and part of this book is trying to solve the mystery of this murder. Correct. What happens is uh, Wyatt uh, grows up and uh, he had no idea that uh, there's, there's a, a woman called Siwar in his, in his brain. And um, he, he finds out about uh, the murder by chance 
Um, and back then, um, her death was ruled as suicide. And he, for a reason he does not understand, he gets so attached to the story of that Jordanian woman who died 25 years ago. And he just becomes obsessed with her story. And, you know, to the degree that it, it sort of ruins his life and his relationship with uh, his girlfriend, because he's so obsessed with uh, finding out what happened to that woman. So is she going to get justice? Is he going to find out who killed her? You will find out when you read the book. <laughs> exactly. And you have a little bit of final humor by putting a a female um, into a male body early on. The, I think she's sort of, you know, if you ever wondered what it was like to be in the body of someone with different anatomy she's kind of looking down and yeah. and uh as the young toddlers as toddlers are do, tend to do <laughs> she's like stop that you know <laughs> what, what, what are you doing stop play, stop playing with that thing yeah 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 i mean i i have three children so i'm, I'm pretty familiar with the word of toddlers um yeah but yeah i mean humor is 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 also uh part of the story because uh, you know, Siwar's character is is a bit cynical and and funny, and and uh, and the reader can can find that out when because there's a lot of dialogue in her mind, and you know, so there's really uh, um, kind of witty uh, uh, observations. Yeah. Um, first, as as an immigrant, and she she's observing a different culture, and also as a female being stuck in the body of of a of a yeah, and so let's talk about this um, metaphor of being trapped. Um, in this case, you know, this consciousness is trapped in this body. Um, but were you also thinking about how, you know, cultural norms and, and restrictions are also a form of entrapment? And mm -hmm. if so, can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, for her as a woman growing up in a patriarchal society, that also was part of the entrapment. Um, and, you know, while she was coming of age in Jordan, you know, and she's starting to fall in love and date guys and all the societal pressures that she faces against her because it's a conservative society that frowns upon a premarital um, uh, intimacy, you know, between a man and a woman. So... So she struggled a lot with that. And then so she was trapped and then she thought um, she escaped that. And then now she's trapped all over again <laughs> in a different form. Yeah, you talk about those issues. You explore, you know, Jordanian women and sex and what that culture thinks. Of. I mean, the fact that she would be flirting with a man would cause her mother or her grandmother to, to, to or her brothers to consider her you know, a slut or whatever she might be called just because she's trying to have, you know, a normal kind of relationship. And uh, I wonder how much of that you saw coming along in your own life, because you've crossed cultures quite a bit here in your journey. Have you seen that in your own life? I mean, all, all Jordanian women who, who grew up in the 80s, I mean, the society now is, is more a bit more open than before they face, uh, you know, the majority of them, they face uh, these restrictions when, you know, they they want to date or they want to, you know, when they f fall in love or they want to try to uh, find a life partner. 
as I said, you know, society is opening up a bit, but uh, in general, it's a conservative society that um, rather that men and women go out in groups rather rather than to go out on on dates, and they they frown upon premarital sex um, and and all of that. So it's it's a conservative society. I mean, and they and it's it's not really a religious thing per se because it applies to both christians and muslims in the middle east the majority of them are conservative um and uh but at the same time um if you look at the novel i i was critical of both i was critical of of the middle eastern culture and the restrictions it poses on women but i was also critical of the u.s culture as well um for me i don't want people to think of of my book as just a woman escaping you know the middle east and finding freedom because that's just a cliche story the story is that the struggles of women are everywhere uh, it's a different kind of struggle, whether it's in the U.S. or whether it's in the Middle East. And, uh, you know, being a woman, I, I think the journey of women is, is a difficult journey, regardless of where you are. And I, I you know, I tried, I, I hope I succeeded in, in um, uh, portraying that point that, you know, whether it's uh, a conservative society or whether it's, uh, uh, facing being an, an immigrant, an Arab immigrant, a female immigrant, you know, trying to find your way at the university, you know, dealing with your professor, dealing with, with men in the U.S., uh, all of that. So it's, you know, it's a journey of women across cultures. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's you did that. And it's a clever uh, storyline because uh, you have a, um, a woman in a man's body he he grows up to be 25 he starts to actually feel some of the uh maybe empathy but also the desire to do some things that maybe a female mind might put him in motion to do and and it and you take the story to Amon Jordan so he's trying to search his past or her past so very well done well let's do this let's talk writing life segment a minute uh, you wrote a blog post in 2015 uh, see, I've been studying up on you. I went and looked at your website. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> yeah, about, about the trials and tribulations of fiction writing in the U.S. And you, mm-hmm. sa- you said in that post that you were discouraged because you'd successfully published in the nonfiction world, but you're having difficulty breaking through in the fiction world. Um, you were actually involved in writing this book at the time. I, I'd just like you to you know, comment on that process a little bit of uh, rejection, your mindset, because it's not something that's unique to you. A lot of authors feel it. A lot of writers feel it. And I just, I think it'd be interesting as part of this writing life discussion to fit, to, to think about how you were feeling then and how you got through that to, to finally get this novel published. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the journey, the journey to publication, at least my journey has been um, challenging to say the least. Um, first it was, as I said, you know, publishing in fiction, um, at least in the U.S., is really hard. Um, you know, I managed to have my byline in the Washington Post, in Elle magazine, and, you know, in, in, in um, Esquire magazine, in top publications. You know, you send the pitch, they approve it, it's fine. But fiction, there's a lot of competition, uh, and there's a, a lot of people who want to be writers these days, 
there's a lot of publications and um, agents or editors, they get a lot of submissions and they don't really have the time for you. And you really need to grab them from the very first line. And so rejection, I've, I've been getting rejected for years, just for years, one rejection letter after the other. And I was very close to just giving up, you know, like, okay, this is not for me. I get hundreds of rejections, you know, I I did my part. Maybe it's time to raise the white flag. But then, you know, uh, one day I received uh, an email from a journal that I submitted to a year before saying they really liked my short story and they want to publish it. And then that when I, you know, was encouraged to continue my writing journey and it only took one uh, acceptance to get me back in in the zone and give me enough motivation. So sometimes it really takes only one yes after, you know, hundreds and hundreds of no's. And I know this is not only something that that I encountered, you know, my friends, uh, you know, uh, f- uh, from different walks of life, you know, different experiences, they all face the same issue. I have friends been trying for years with still no yes, it's all no. But many, I think, young authors or starting authors do not realize that writing is not only about talent. Actually, I think talent is maybe 10% of the writing journey. It's resilience is a huge part of it and discipline and you have to do the work you have to put the hours so um so it's really resilience it's i would say 30 percent or maybe 40 percent of of being published order is is just having a thick skin yeah and you said in that bar post i know that if i want to bring this to fruition i have to commit i have to keep writing and stop whining it's work it's hard work and you talked about uh how cheryl stray and had described your 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 effort. Uh, I think she wrote uh, an essay called "Write Like a Motherfucker" that was published, and 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 she said, and you said, she said, I have finally reached a point when the prospect of not writing a book was more awful than writing a book that sucked. And mm-hmm. so, and so, basically, you were saying you had to get it done. You know, th- that determination was more than just not doing it. Correct. You, yeah. Correct. It's it's like I don't know how to say it, but like having this this something inside you and you have to like exorcise it you know like you have to bring the priest to get it out i mean i had to i had to get it out and even it was if it was a sucky i mean i don't care it had it had to go out it's gonna Uh, go it's gonna go out and 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 the last thing you said in that blog post was uh here's hoping so now that uh it's out how do you feel um I think mixed feelings. Um, as I said, my journey to publication was not an easy one. Um, I had to change publishers um, in in the midst of the publication journey um, through the, to some disagreements, and um, so I honestly just feel happy at the same time, just exhausted. Like you ran a marathon and it's finally out. And it's a it's a mixed feeling. It's um, one you know on, on the one side you feel happy that you actually accomplished, but on the other side you feel like okay now what's next? So now I'm really focused on the next part. I want a better book. I want a, a better reach. I want a better story. Um, so it's 
uh, I'm happy it happened. And now I'm just looking ahead to the future to do more work. All right, great. Different kind of writing life question. In another one of your blog posts earlier this year, you said that having a daily planner changed your life. How did having a daily planner change your life? Uh, it's amazing, honestly, because every day, the daily planner, um, in addition to the to-do the to-do list that you have to, you know, every day you have to accomplish, but there's, you know, you have to write affirmations, uh, you know, things you need to work on. You look at your day, at your week and how you can improve. And the idea of assessing every day and, and planning for the next day, not only for what you're going to do, but how you're going to change as a person, how you're going to uh, uh, grow, how you're going to develop a better habit. And having this written down on a piece of paper rather than depending on all these technological tools really helped my mind be more focused and helped me get the clutter, the clutter out of my mind and putting it down. And I feel like I'm getting more done. I'm happier. I, you know, I have um, a better look at what's coming in the future. So other than uh, Charlotte Rears podcast, 2 p.m. today, what's on your planner for today? <laughs> I'm taking the kids <laughs> to the pool. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And I am. Um, I have to uh, finish a chapter. I am also as a side gig. I'm a ghost writer, so I am. You know, I have to deliver a chapter for one of my clients. Okay. So um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot to do. <laughs> All right. One last writing life question. I sometimes ask this, but given your journey, um, if you could go back to that uh, younger writing self when you first started to undertake this uh, writing of fiction. And you could give her some advice based upon what you've been through. What advice would you give your younger writing self that might help, might have helped you? Develop a thick skin because that's, especially after you get published uh, and, you know, whether it's the reviews or the comments, that's really important. I mean, don't let any, any uh, comment on Goodreads uh, take you down. Um, That's because, you know, (laughs) Goodreads can be like a, rabbit hole um and um that's that's one and also is as i said resilience and putting the hours and treat your writing like a job do not think of it as something you can do when you feel like it if you want to be a writer you can just wait for the inspiration to hit like in a movie and you stay up all night and then you finish your great american novel that does not work you have to put in the hours you have to have a schedule you have to treat it like a job that's the only way you can get published i mean think of stephen king for example i think stephen king writes every single day except on his birthday or something like this. I read that somewhere. I mean, it's that's how he gets published. I mean, uh, how, this is how he publishes like at least uh, one or two books a year is because he's just writing every day. Um, and this is the way to do it. Well, that's interesting. The one thing he doesn't want to do on his birthday is write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, look, we I have a lot of more questions I could ask you uh, both about the book and your writing life, but we'll let the listeners go uh, get the book and, and, and find out uh, more about it by reading it. Uh, uh, I want to thank you, uh, Natasha, for taking time today to be on Charlotte Reader's Podcast. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. Well, that's it for today. 
another fine author giving voice to their written words. Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author. But before then, be on the lookout for another Under the Covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker and sometimes away from the studio. Because there are just too many good authors. And not enough time. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved.